0: that's indeed.com slash bluewire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash bluewire sports terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed.
1: before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I'd like to talk to you about super Draft. It's a great way to play daily fantasy sports and it's great because you play the players you want to because there's no pricing. It's a multiplier point system. you play the players you want and you take the risk you want to take. It's a great new format. They have baseball, basketball, hockey, football, golf, you name it. They've got it, and it's been great. Go check them out. Use promo code Bubba when you create your account. You'll get a free $10 deposit bonus when you make that first deposit. Just go to SuperDraft in your app store, SuperDraft.io, and give it a whirl. Also, if you get a rating and review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. It would help the podcast out a ton. Toby and I love doing this, and it would help more and more people come to find it. So a quick rating and review would be much appreciated. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for you in the soft season to get you ready for the 2020 fantasy baseball year. But for now, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 225, Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 14. everybody to another edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 14 going to be a fun one we're going to finish off our infield rounds in, in theory we'll recap the catcher's position from the 2019 season with a little look ahead to 2020 and then uh, we will go over the pitcher list expert mock draft that myself and Toby were in that wrapped up actually right before we started recording finally wrapped up so we will recap our picks there and kind of give a little analysis or thought process behind what went on there. You can find me on Twitter at BDN And I already mentioned his name. You can find him on Twitter at bat crazy. how are we doing, man?
2: We are doing pretty well, Bubba. Um, just starting to dive into the research, kind of looking at players started uh, on the solo pod, some, some player profiles. Uh, so looking forward to that, you know, the season, it feels like it's far away, but it's getting closer and closer. More and more people are starting to do, you know, some initial drafts, drafts that count. So, I'm really looking forward to and you know you're a total nerd when like steamer coming out Damn. initially and then you know there being five completed uh, draft champions drafts in the nfbc to give you like a general sense of actually how ADP is flowing so far. That's what I'm really looking forward to. So that's my Christmas present. How are you doing?
1: I am doing well. Um, yes, I listened to your, your, your Vigio takes today. It oh made man. Feel, made me feel good and kind of concerned, but good, more good than concerned. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, still, I, I, I was with you on the high hopes side of it. You gave
2: the two scenarios. I'm staying yeah. on the glass half full scenario for now. You are such an optimist, Bubba. That's one of the things that I appreciate about you. I try. I try
1: because (laughs) there's so many bad things going on around us. If we're we're all negative about fantasy baseball, why are we playing? We got to look for for the positives there. But uh, yeah, it's funny. Like you said, more and more people are are, are starting to research uh, towards the end of last week and just over the weekend. I think I just listened to the baseball podcast for the first time, like back Mm -hmm. to back to back to back. It was, it was beautiful. I I like my football stuff. So I've been like digging them once in a while, but as the season's gone on, I've kind of cut back on which ones I'm listening to there and, we're almost back into baseball world. I'm
2: very happy about it. Definitely, yeah, I love it when you know some of my favorite po- podcasts release new episodes. Now yep. you just never know when they're coming right now, and so when you mm-hmm. see them show up in your in your podcast uh, list, you're just kind of like, yes, today is going to be a good day.
1: Yeah, because I, I totally understand taking a break. I get it. It's a long, long season, but uh, yeah, when a new one drops, always nice. But uh, we're gonna keep giving you the content we can give you here. Like I said, we will recap the catcher's position. So let's dig into it here. Toby, just, you know, catchers is one of those things. We can do the hours of debate, which we don't need to do on two catcher leagues, single catcher <laughs> leagues, all that stuff. That's just a whole other topic for that we've probably discussed many times and other shows have discussed many times. I know my show has discussed a ton of times and so has yours. Um, it's just to each their own is the way I'm just going to say it. To each their own. It's Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. Because I'm not going to get into that debate. But what was your thought on the overall catcher position last year? Because we saw a lot of guys come literally out of nowhere, Toby, and become such fantasy studs that he, when we get to the 2020 look ahead part, leaves me holding my hands up sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, heading into this year, I think my general approach was, you know, I didn't, I got one share of Gary Sanchez, I think. Actually, that was in the um, it was in TGFBI because he fell to pick 75. I got one, I got uh, one other share of JT Rail Muto was kind of the top two catchers, but mostly I was feeding in the kind of like eight to 12 range. I had a lot of it was a terrible year for catchers for me. Mm-hmm. I was joking around about how like I keep on talking about how terrible all my all my picks were, and people were starting to be like, hey, should I? Even finish,
1: and then you still so won high? like so many right. things. <laughs>
2: right. Um, it's all about the grind. Um, yep. So I ended up with a ton of Francisco Cervelli, Danny Jansen. You know, those were kind of the two guys who I had the most and Yadier Molina. So those were kind of the three guys that I had the most as my catcher one. And then my, uh or actually, you know, it was mostly actually Molina and Jansen as my catcher one. And then in some instances, um, you know, Cervelli was my catcher one, but a lot of Cervelli is my catcher two. So I missed on a lot of the guys that I was targeting. You know, it's just the, the, it's just a position that gets gets yucky. I just said that. (laughs) It's just a position that gets, it gets gross, like really quickly. Um, Last year, I think even more so in this upcoming year. Um, And so, you know, for me, like I definitely didn't play it well, but I was lucky because of the ball and because of some kind of late blooming guys. I had a lot of Roberto Perez, for instance, um, who got me through a lot of uh, cold nights. And, you know, so (laughs) that's, that's kind of how I attacked it. It, From a strategic standpoint, I don't think it worked out super well for me. Um, But, you know, again, there was some, some, uh, some waiver wire fodder that turned out to be, pretty good. And I think that saved me in a lot of, a lot of pieces. How, how did you feel, you know, kind of turning the clocks back to March of this year, heading into the catcher position?
1: A lot like you, I, I got a share of Gary Sanchez early in the year in the barf draft. I felt good about that being an OVP league and all. And he still returned really good value. It's just frustrating when he's out so much, cause he's hurt. Like this dude's got such potential and he just can't stay healthy. He's like Giancarlo Stanton in the catcher's position. Mm. It, it, it's, it's really tilting. And it's hard because you either go to a draft going, OK, I'm still going to take the gamble because the upside is so huge. Or you realize what you're passing up at that point in the draft. And that's that's tough. And that'll be something we can talk about closer to draft season. He's a whole conundrum in himself. But I got a piece of him. You and I are both huge on Danny Jansen. Uh, that was actually my catcher, too. And yeah. with we Gary Sanchez, Danny Jansen, those were my guys. Mm. And Danny Jansen, as you know very well, and anybody that follows you or I know, that did not turn out so well. And we had like a glimmer of hope, Toby. We had a glimmer of hope. He had like that 10 day span where everything seemed to be turning around and then it
2: disappeared again.
1: So yeah. um, that it was,
2: was so uh, sad. It's so sad.
1: Yeah, it was very, very sad. And uh, there's parts of me that want to jump back in this year. And there's parts of me that like, you know what, with the landscape of catchers, I don't know, because like you mentioned with the bouncy ball we had, if you could work the waiver wire, I, I was comparing with someone online the the other day and they made a good comparison. I was like, how do you look at catchers in like a fantasy football light? And they said, it's like the tight end. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. the tight end, you can either go for like the elite guys or you just work the waiver wire. And uh, it, it's very, very similar because so many players, if we read, if we read like the top 15 catchers, I would guess like most of them were not, catcher ones drafted in a one catcher league let's put it that way mm-hmm. they were not involved in the the top catchers drafted and uh, they turned out great so for me it it was an up and down year very similar to you i made some hay like i picked the guys like jason castro that i ran with for a while
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and then like Wellington castillo in his hot streak like you just kind of had to play the game you had to get the mindset that there's so many platoons at catcher now and i guess we can talk about this more at the end that you have to just realize these guys might only play like four games a week. Like there's mm-hmm. so many different aspects to it than the old days where, you know, you're going to put Yadi and Molina and he's going to catch every day, maybe get like two days off a month, stuff like that. It's a, it's a different animal now. And that'll be something to, to, to change the aspect of going into next season.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Volume, volume is uh volume is definitely a commodity right now. Yeah, it, It's almost
1: the old theory, like quality over quantity at the catcher's position. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's really weird or, yeah, we'll talk about it. I have a couple other takes on it in the preview section or when we look mm-hmm. ahead to next season. Um, let's talk about got three guys we got right, three guys we got wrong real quick. We'll start off with you. your number one. Who you got?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, this is going to be another position where I feel like I, I don't feel great about the things I got right <laughs> or the things I got wrong for that matter. But um, yeah, But my number one is Wilson Ramos. Um, I had him as my number eight catcher heading into the season um in terms of adp he was going as the number five catcher and he ended up finishing the season at number five you know he was solid, not spectacular, but heading into the year I had concerns the ground ball rate is just massive with the guy i mean it was i think fifty five percent this last year it was around sixty three percent this year, so he just uh he just Hits a ton of ground balls and he has a decent batting average, but um, just not necessarily a skill set that I'm looking for in any players in particular. And I just uh, I have a little concern, just you know, going back with the injury history and and so for that reason, I think um, you know I was kind of off him generally. I didn't own him anywhere. Um, and he ended up being what I thought he was going to be, uh, which wasn't terrible, but I guess I was right on. So that's my num my hard hitting. Uh, number one catcher that I got right. What about you?
1: Yeah, my number one is Omar Narvaez of the Seattle Mariners. When the Mariners acquired him from the White Sox, I wrote an article for Fantasy Sports DJs. I was very excited about uh, him getting regular playing time because towards the end of the 2018 season, if you just look at his season line, it's not ideal. But towards the end, he was getting more consistent playing time. He finished with a 275 average, nine homers, just in like a platoon role in 90 or so games. He had a 277 average, 275. Even last year, 278. And when we think the catcher's position, we usually don't think batting average. That's a luxury to get a batting average with Omar Navarez. And, and what we saw towards the ten- end of 18 was a power increase, which I thought he could carry over the Mariners. And I ever think he'd hit 22 home runs, not a chance. But uh, that might be aided by the bouncy ball. He finished eighth in the Ras Ball Player rater at the catcher's position. I had him ranked 11th going into the season. I, I was pretty high on him compared to others. Uh, you saw his barrel rate increase, his exit velocity, or his hard hit rate increased a bit, but still they're not ideal. Like a oh, 27.5% hard hit, not great. Um, his X stats show that he might've uh, over, overproduced quite a bit, but his X stats every year have shown he's overproduced. So it's maybe he's one of those kind of caveats that we, we see it with like Javi Baez of the world and stuff. And by no means, am I like comparing Javi Baez and Omar Narvaez. Mm. There's certain, there's certain hitters that we see just kind of, they, they don't follow the mold as we like to kind of see with these guys. So, Narvaez is a guy I'm looking forward to checking out again this year. Uh, towards the end of last season in 19, he was platooning a lot with Tom Murphy. Murphy was just destroying left-handed pitching. If you want a fun Statcast page and like a splits, go to like the Fangraph splits. Daniel uh, Tom Murphy is a lefty masher and can barely hit a righty, so mm-hmm. he's the perfect platoon. But Narvaez was also playing DH a lot during that. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Got a lot of games, not just behind the play, but at DH, and that average carries weight and if for somehow he can get 20 plus home runs again the dude's going to be good and I think he's going to go high this year so I probably won't have
2: him but uh, Omar Devaez is my number one
1: who's your number two
2: uh my number two was Francisco Mejia uh, he was a guy going back to draft season who was way up there in terms of ADP he was the number 10 catcher um going off the board um, and I had him as my number 21 catcher heading into the season, so I didn't end up with any shares. He was way back in my rankings, and he ended up as catcher number 32. Obviously, injury played um, some piece of that. We saw some glimpses of why people were so excited in Mejia, but for folks who have listened to, to the pod, um, they know that I'm a snob when it comes to play discipline, and Mejia is just a free swinger, or as free swinging of a free swinger as you can get. Um, he's above, always above the lead lead laggers, if you will, uh, in terms of plate discipline. But that's also something that I'm trying to I'm trying to get a little bit less, um, you know, snobby about. And so I think there's reason to be optimistic about Mejia next year. In particular, the fact that you know he makes a ton of contact. Uh, ground ball rate was going down towards the end of last year. I think we talked about him. He was outperforming kind of some of the. Um, uh, you know, some of the underlying metrics like his expected Woba, but I think there's reason to be optimistic, but I don't think this was the year to be that. And I think his ADP heading into the year reflected that. Uh, how about you? Who is your number two?
1: Well, first of all, on the Mejia, Mahia. I like that call a lot, especially going into this next year. I'm curious to see where his ADP keeps kind of going as we get maybe into January or February, because people love Mahia. They've always loved him as a, an offensive prospect, but even the Indians are trying to move him around because his defense didn't carry. But we saw at the end of last season with the Padres in the last like month to two months, give or take, they made him the everyday catcher or at least, you know, four to five day a week catcher. And he started to flourish. So Mm. if you just if you change the sample size and look at the game logs where he started playing more often, Mejia really exploded as an offensive catcher. I'm curious to see how that carries over, because if he can hit like that. He's gonna hit those expectations that everybody was looking for. So I'm very excited. And there's there's a group of catchers that have like such wide variants coming in the next year. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out. Absolutely. Uh, my number two is gonna be Jorge Alfaro. This is a guy I've been high on a lot. You know, prospect guys have loved Alfaro because you think back to when he's at the Phillies, he was a top end catching prospect. And after 2018, think people think sweet, he's gonna finally get his job, but then they traded for Wilson Ramos but Ramos is gone, and then they go and get um, JT Real Muto, but in that deal, they send out Farrar to the Marlins, and I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's shot. He's going to go play in Florida. It's over. No, 18 home runs, career high, still hit two sixty two, which is outstanding. He's going to be 27 next year, so still pretty darn young. And one thing i really like to see from this kid as he's getting more and more experience, each of the last three seasons, because 17 was really his first year getting – Close to decent playing time towards the end of that season. He played all of eighteen and nineteen. His barrel rates increased every year. His uh, hard hit rate increased every year. His K rate increased, but that's I think that's more of a factor of the way baseball's going these days. His walk rate increased. All of the X stats you want to see looked great. And even his like his his X batting average and all those things, they're all relatively close. Like he might be a little lucky in some, but not in others. His hit tool is phenomenal. It's very, very good. And what he could do in Miami stood out in a big way to me. So I think Jorge Alfaro, he's one of those guys that I will be targeting in drafts because I still don't think a lot of people are in on him. And he's a guy I liked a lot last year. And and for me, he turned into a pretty good catcher.
0: Mm.
1: Who's your number three?
2: Um, My number three, I feel a little, um, a little, a little dirty about this one just because I feel like I wasn't necessarily a believer on these two guys. Um, But, um you know nonetheless I had them I ended up having them higher in my ranks than they were going in the ADP and they did well the first was Mitch Garver um I think I feel better about including him you know he was he, he was going catcher number 34 in terms of ADP I had him as uh catcher number 28 but I wasn't waiting towards the end of drafts to get catchers and so I didn't have Garver uh on uh, many if any teams but I think in looking at the analysis, I, I have not, you can't quote me on this, so you can go back and look at the catcher preview that we did. But I remember at the time, towards the end of last year, he really was demonstrating some elite, a new elite combination of plate discipline, contacts, and heart, contact, and heart hit rate. He was really showing that he was a strong hitter. And so at the time, like there was this three way battle between Garber and Astudio and, um, uh, and Castro for catcher. And so I was kind of staying clear of the position. And so kudos to folks who who believed enough to go out and get him. But I think in my analysis, I was on to the fact that he was kind of an up and coming uh, hitter at the catching position. Uh, but I steered clear because of my uh, my fear of, of, of risky players in general. Um, again, a weakness of mine. The other guy is uh, Christian Vasquez, uh, obviously finished I think as the number four catcher. Um, you know, Uh, he was number 31 in terms of ADP. I had him number 29 in my rank. So again, nothing crazy to write home about. I'm not like somebody who is up on a mountaintop screaming to get these guys, get these guys, get these guys. But I did have their ranked higher uh, than their ADP. Um, And I think I saw some value in the skill set compared to what other catchers were providing. So with Vasquez, um, the batting average, I did not see... Um, the quadrupling of the home run to fly ball rate coming though with Vasquez. I'm not sure why exactly that, 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 why I missed that one, but um, I was, I should have should have known that that home run to fly ball rate was going to jump fourfold this year. Uh, What about you? What was your number three uh, in terms of guys that you got, right? Uh, Wilson Ramos. It's kind of what you're saying. I, I, I liked him a lot, but
1: not as much as others. And for kind of what I was expecting, he did. I was hoping for a little more power with the bouncy ball. He didn't do that. His barrel rate was down this year, like you mentioned. Hard hit rate. like All these things dropped, but the production was still there. He had like a month hot streak that was great. One stat you left out that I think is very interesting. You mentioned this ground ball rate. Mm-hmm. Without cheating, can you guess his launch angle this year?
2: Christian Vasquez? Or, no, Wilson uh, oh, Ramos. Wilson Ramos. Ramos. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, um, his launch angle, God, it's got to be negative. No, um, it's, zero,
1: it's 0. 0.0.
2: It is 0.0. 0. I was gonna I've never like seen that, anything
1: like it. Intense. I've never seen anything like it. It's Every time I look at his page, uh, I just get confused. Uh, I get so confused about this man that, you know, I was so happy with the way he rebounded in Tampa Bay after the injury and they gave him his chance. I thought this was a big time for him. I am super concerned going into this year. He's yeah. 32. I am I think I'm going to gamble on other guys. But last year, I liked him a lot. I liked him a ton more the year before. Like, no one liked him. I got laughed at the year before because I had him ranked, like, fifth going into, like, 2018. And he ended up being, like, the third guy. This year, more people were on him. I think he was good, but not great. But uh, that's one that I kind of got right. It was That's how tough catcher was for me. Yeah, but sure. – um,
0: Let's go to it three was we for got... all
1: of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go to three. We got wrong. We can share the first one. Who you got?
2: Oh man. Yeah. Talk about painful. Uh, Danny Jansen. Um, I had him at, at catcher number seven heading into this year. He ended up as catcher 30. I had him a bunch of places. Um, when I look back, you know, the, the, I mean, and even this year, you know, the plate discipline was solid, you know, it was solid. The contact rate was solid. Um, he hits the ball a decent amount in the air. Um, so there was a lot going for him. I think the thing that I might have missed was the quality of contact. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of hard, but like, you know, last year, his um, hard hit rate was 20%. Now it was a 95 plate appearance sample. Uh, he walked in 10% of those plate appearances. He struck out in 18% of those plate appearances. So there was very few balls in play. And so I didn't put a punt ton of, Stock into that, and what's ironic is that you know he doubled that hard hit rate to forty-two point four percent, and you really can't like there. There's really like you don't see uh, a massive flaw in his game. I mean, if we're honest, right? Like the massive flaw, maybe the two thirty Babbitt, but he doesn't strike out a bunch. He walks a decent amount. He hits the ball hard. He hits the ball in the air, and so you know it's definitely something where. We were wrong, and it hurt it hurt real bad because I pretty much held on to him while he was batting like one hundred and then dropped him right before he went on that hot streak but you know it's hard to say I would do anything drastically different over you know over again because I do see that the the profile in general is fairly solid, and I think he um, I should actually look this up, but uh, I think he was he was he finished with a pretty decent gap between his um, expected stats He stats did I got him reaction. up right now yeah he definitely did so um yeah I mean so it's like you know sometimes you just make a mistake yeah there you go like uh whatever it is 30 it's
1: 40 points in his 40 point gap average. yeah it's huge
2: yeah exactly so that's so that's massive um and yeah and it's the batting average so mm-hmm. So again, like I think there's there might be some value there. I'll probably be back in on him. I will be back on in on him if if I'm uh, unfortunate enough to be uh, relying yeah. on getting a catcher that way.
1: Yeah, two catcher leagues. He'll be he'll be definitely in play for me. One catcher maybe not, but uh, we'll wait and see on that. The only things that stand out, like you mentioned, the the, the x pan average is 40 points off. Everything else, the slugs, the x woba, they're all off pretty good. You, you mentioned the increase in hard hit. That stands out big time. But what I want is the quality of contact. You mentioned it. I, I need to look at um, Alex's work and, and Max's work here because, you know, his barrel rate dropped from 9.2 to 5.9. That's an interesting drop. And his launch angle dropped five degrees. So it's like he, he dropped his barrel. He dropped his launch angle. He hit the ball harder. You can see why the ball maybe stayed in the yard, but still 60-degree launch angle is not bad. It's just a lot of weird factors there. And it's a very hitter-friendly ballpark he's in. So hmm. – um, it, it is confusing with Danny Jansen. The, the good part is he's 24 years old. So, And his, and, and the really good part that we, we mentioned with certain players and it really stands out at catcher is his defense is very good. So they're mm-hmm. going to keep him behind the dish. He's less likely to lose his job because he's not hitting compared to other guys. So that's uh, another thing. Like we saw last year, even when he was playing so bad, he was back there a lot. So it's something definitely to keep an eye on uh, as we go into 2020. All right. You kind of hinted at this
2: guy earlier. Who's your number two? Oh, Francisco Cervelli is my number two. Um, You know, I I really like Cervelli a lot. The projection systems also really like Cervelli uh, as just somebody who could bring some value where he was going in drafts. He had strong play discipline last year. That was a, a big improvement he had. He had a decent hard hit rate. He had a nice little barrel rate, especially for a catcher um, made a lot of contact. So I saw a lot to like with Cervelli and I thought he had, you know, a good chunk of the playing time. And, and, um, you know, especially with Elias Diaz starting out injured, I was really not excited about that, but excited about the fact that he was going to get some playing time, but it really just never materialized, whatever it was injuries or, um, you know, I, I think he was, he was not making the quality of contact that he did, you know, um, Honestly, for the first time in his career in 2018, but you know he wasn't able to translate that into 2019, and the result was a massive disappointment for me. And really, like there was a few leagues where I had Cervelli and Jansen. I think maybe even if um i started out with <laughs> and jansen and i mean like i mean over the course of the year he had 15 runs and 12 rbis three home runs and a 213 batting average i mean geez what on earth you know actually his hard hit rate actually jumped from last year i don't think he was making like the uh the stat cast metrics were not as good um and his plate discipline wasn't as good but all in all that one was just, was just super painful so yeah, that, that's
1: a tough one. Cervelli's always been a pretty consistent ball player, and I'm really curious to see where he goes as a free agent. And he almost stopped catching at one point last year. I'm really curious to see how that one plays out going into that's 2020. Um, and the next one I got wrong was Christian Vasquez. Yeah, I had him nowhere on my radar last year. I ranked 20 catchers. He wasn't on there. Was like I wasn't even debating him in drafts. Wasn't even close. Like if you look back to previous years. 18, he combined for three home runs, 17-5, 16-3, didn't even play in 15, 14-4, 5-13. Four, and 13. The dude does not have power, and he hits 23 home runs this year. He hits for 276. He's always been an okay average guy, I guess. But that power hike, which gives him 66 runs and 72 RBIs, like like you said, you look at the Rasball Player Raider. He finished fourth on the Razzball Player Raider behind the next guy I'll talk about in my next screw-up. But it's just ridiculous what he did. His, his hard hit rate jumped 10%. His barrel rate, he had in, – in the previous three seasons, 16, 17, and 18, he had a combined 13 barrels. In 2019 alone, he had 24. It's just – you just look at all of his numbers. If anybody would have predicted this kind of explosion, improvements are one thing. This yeah. is a whole different ballgame to me. And it, this is even more than the bouncy ball. Like, I, I I can admit he's better than I thought he was. The bouncy ball might have helped. But he was smoking the baseball. And his X stats are something to keep an eye on. 276 average, 254 X batting average. Uh, all of his X stats were lower than his actual numbers. So that's something to keep an eye on for next year. But I think the advancements are, are, are pretty legit. He's going to be turning 30. He's still not that old yet, especially for a guy that doesn't, you know, caught a lot in the bigs and everything. Interesting guy to keep an eye on with Christian Vasquez in that lineup going to 2020 but i was very off on him and uh missed uh, missed the boat on a big one there in uh in 2019
2: definitely and actually, actually to yeah. one of your points there i think this is one of the things that as we go through these players that we kind of hit and missed on i think the ones where i'm frustrated is where i missed something like there was something that was there in the profile and for whatever reason whether I, you know i just wasn't into the player or there was some sort of bias i had like some of the plate discipline guys that i've mentioned That's where I have a problem. But with a guy like Vasquez, right, it's like you can't predict or really project that, you know, for instance, he's going to quadruple his home run per fly ball rate, right? His contact rate actually dropped 5% from last year. That's ridiculous. You know, like he was (laughs) actually a worse hitter in both plate discipline and contact skills, so in the fundamentals. But when you quadruple your home run to fly ball rate, um, he he didn't even hit more fly balls really like than last year, right? And he yeah. had a six six percent uh, growth in his hard hit rate. Those aren't things that you can necessarily project. Like you could say he's on an upward trajectory or something like that, but you'd be lying to yourself in this particular case, right? And so I think that's the thing for me as we go through those. Is there, there are these there's some guys that I feel like you could have identified ahead of time that we made mistakes on, but in a lot of cases it's just a matter of like we missed on this guy because. Um, you know, that was, you know, like we couldn't project that he was going to increase his contact rate 5% or whatever it was. So that's just something I think that's important to note on the uses is, is that there's reasons why you get him right and you get him wrong and you're going to get some wrong, but you want that process to be, um, as good as it possibly can. Completely agree. Who's your number three? Um, my other number three is Wellington Castillo, the beef. Uh, I had him as my catcher number ten. I had him in a couple places, and he ended up as catcher number thirty six. Obviously, injuries and uh, a range of uh, of different different factors kind of happened there. But I think the big pieces is, is that that was a that was a wasted pick, especially. I can't remember exactly where he was going. I think he was around a hundred and or maybe he was a, he was a little bit later. I think he was maybe that next little tier at like two fifty. After Jansen or something, but either way, it uh, did not did not go well. What about you? What was your number three?
1: Yeah, I'll make this one quick. And beef, beef, I had ranked ninth for me, and James McCann finished seven. So it tells you how that thing went. Wasn't even paying attention to James McCann. I thought it was beef's job, but um, I did kind of a combo. It, was, it kind of goes in tied with Christian Vasquez. There was just a group of guys that I just didn't even have on my radar. And Roberto Perez going to 24 home runs, and then Mitch Garver to 31. I wasn't on those at all. Like, I'm not going to go super deep into them. It was just, it was wild to see their impact. Like, Garver, looking at his, you know, his overall stats and and, and baseball savant and everything, I can see him still being pretty good next year. I still don't have Roberto Perez ranked high, and I already did my preliminary 2020s. I still don't have him in the top 20. Like, I, I have nothing, I have no reason to believe Roberto Perez does it again. Mitch Garver, I can see still having a very good season. Christian Vasquez, I can see having a very good season. Roberto Perez, I, I just I, I don't see it all, but uh, I got those two wrong because they like Roberto Perez, Mitch Garver, Christian Vasquez, those are groups of guys that might not even have been drafted in your leagues, and you got them for like a dollar in Fab because you just needed a catcher, and they carried you to a phenomenal finish, and it's just crazy like that. Definitely. All right, let's give a quick look ahead to 2020 what is your overall thoughts on the catcher's position as we are so far away and it's such a fun position to talk about?
2: Well, I think you nailed it Uh, earlier on you were talking about, I think after the first, I mean, maybe the first three guys, I think there's just a ton of variance, right? Or like I've done a ton of high variance guys, guys that could be really bad guys that could be decent, you know? Um, And so uh, it's just a, it's really it's, – it's one of those landmines. It's one of those things where it feels like later starting pitchers where it's just kind of like you're kind of throwing darts up there and you're hoping that in a lot of instances, guys who outperformed what we were expecting from last year um, continue to do that. I mean, I think there's definitely some, like, solid later guys. Like we mentioned, Danny Jansen, uh, Carson Kelly. I think just, like, the approach, approach at the plate is nice. Um, Will Smith certainly showed something. Uh Sal Perez is a guy. I don't know where yep. his is is going to fall, but that he's a guy that I'm targeting a lot. I already have him in my one draft that that uh really matters for next year where there is two catchers. And my strategy moving forward, I play exclusively two catcher leagues, and so that's really what I'm talking about when I when I share my strategy. Um and and I'll touch a little bit on my strategy in one catcher leagues when when we go over our our pitcher list uh teams. But for me, um, I really want to get two high-end catchers. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, um, but I really want to be targeting catchers who I feel pretty good about what their performance is going to be, and that's like three guys, pretty much. Well, actually, it's like <laughs> two guys. I'm going to go after J.T. Realmuto and Yasmani Grandal in every single league, and I'm going to be in rough shape if either one of them uh, isn't successful. But Uh, But really, like, I want to get those high end um, catchers as much as possible. And so I will be targeting. I don't know if Sanchez will be there. I got to dig in, but maybe Sanchez, depending on team construction pieces. Really love JT Real Muto. Just a balanced approach. Um, The batting average help, the speed help at that position. I think just Mm -hmm. relative to other catchers just makes it beautiful. I think Sal Perez is a guy that I'm going to be going after. I think I drafted him round pick one twenty something last year in TGFBI the day before he got injured for the year. And so, uh, you know, he'll probably be going a little bit later than that because of the injuries. So he may be a guy I target as my catcher two, maybe a catcher one and, and, and pairing him with like a Jansen or somebody like that. There's definitely guys that could be good. I just think there's, you know, there's so many misses and I want guys that provide value because I think that's the, that's the real difference maker at the position. So how are you feeling about, um, about catcher next next year.
1: If, if I can end up with a Grandal or a, a Muto, I'm with you there. I have them like one A, one B. I, I I have Grandal one, but the more I looked into them, there you could have arguments for either or. Like really, I like would. It's almost like the Trout, Acuna, yellow debate. I don't care who you take number one. They're all either one of them is just fine with me. Um, I have Sal Perez six right now. I, I'm high on him like you are. I've seen people have him. Out of the top ten, other guys who have him like fourth. I am curious to see how he looks, just like you were saying. But we know who Sal Perez also is. And he had Tommy John, which should not affect his bat. We've seen that work just fine for Gleyber Torres and others. So I I am buying back in on Salvi Perez as well. But you mentioned it, like Will Smith. Uh, Let's see what Omar Narvaez does again. Christian Vasquez. I think Carson Kelly's interesting. Sean Murphy. Do the A's give him the job over Josh Fegley? That can be quite interesting. Uh, Mejia is another guy you mentioned earlier. Like, my top 20, after the first, I'm going to give it to Salvi Perez at six. You know, I have Wilson Contreras, Mitch Garver up there. After after Salvi Perez, it's kind of a crapshoot. You, you can make you can plant your flags wherever you want. Um, it's one of those things where, as different analysts come out with rankings, you're going to see, at certain positions, they're all going to be pretty similar. I can see catchers being just one of those all over the boards. Because it's almost like a personal preference at some point in time. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be very, very interesting. I think there's some very interesting deep league op- options to, to, to keep in mind. And that's why I think in two-catcher leagues, if you don't want to go early, which I don't disagree with, like your strategy, there's some very interesting later guys, especially young guys. It's the uh, the debate, do the young guys come through? Uh, does Zach Collins get consistent playing time with Chicago? That's a big power bat. You can get almost undrafted. Um, does Chance Sisko get the job again? Vic Caratini they're talking about Trey Wilson Contreras. Vic Caratini if you look at his numbers actually was very very good for the Cubs. Um, There's some very interesting guys to, to keep in mind but that's deep deep stuff. The overall landscape of catchers It's it's fun because there's more I guess viable catchers are they safe? Maybe not but we saw last year there was a lot of very very good fantasy catchers where in previous years, you were happy with like 240, you know, 12 home runs and don't completely screw it up. Now you actually have some talented guys there that can make a big difference. And that's why I think you want to go early and get yours like you're talking about. You want those difference makers that separates you from the rest of the league. You have those two guys where you can maybe gamble on your outfielders or your corner infield or middle infield or take some deep pitching, stuff like that as your draft plays out. So it'll be really interesting to see how ADP starts to shake out on the catcher's position because like in this one catcher league, we're going to talk about pitcher list. Like I took mine towards the end. You can, you can wait all day long if you want to, but um, in two catcher leagues, as we've seen, it gets much more interesting, especially at OBP. There's some stinky OBP catchers too. That could be a whole other <laughs> podcast. Uh, there's some
2: really sneaky OBP can catchers. Can we, can we call it the stinky OBP po- uh, catcher? We stinky, could. Stinky catcher OBP podcast. We could. That could be, that could be a real draw. Because I'm
1: telling you, because there's some guys that if you
2: looked at it, like, there's no way I want to own them, but they got
1: like a 340 OBP, and at the catcher's position, when yeah. you can get them for basically free, that is amazing. Totally. <laughs> so totally. It's uh, no one thinks about those type of players, and you literally can just skip the catcher's position and grab them at the end.
2: Yeah, so, come come here for the baseball analysis. Stay for the uh, the yuckies and the, the suckies <laughs> and the skin. <skincare. laughs>
1: Yeah, you you're gonna get you're gonna rub off all the 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 kids lingo on me
2: here. Ah, there so you go, I know, right? totally. I've, I've totally been holding, hanging out around three and six year olds.
1: Yeah, you you're keep guy. you're keeping me PG for you know radios and other <laughs> things. It's it's perfect. Yeah. It's good well, for me.
2: I do just want to say, Bubba, I am uh beyond impressed with your level of preparation. I know you've been working on a uh, <laughs> on a on a behind the scenes catcher uh preview stuff for for a magazine. Um. But uh, man, already having your ranking set on November 18th, 2019, um, and all of the analysis you just dropped, that was very impressive.
1: Yeah, it's thank you, but it also is nothing like
2: I'm proud of it and not proud of it at the
1: same time because I felt so (laughs) dirty, like so dirty. Any other position besides catcher, but at the same time, I guess you almost want to know more about the positions that suck. So yeah, who knows for
2: sure. Knows? Those are the, those are the, those are the, those are the tough ones.
1: Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'll probably completely screw it up and we'll talk about this next year and tell you how I screwed up catcher all over again. But yeah. um, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that one out, but let's recap it. Like I said at the beginning of the pod, this pitcherless expert mocks. We were in mock two, I believe out of the three, mm-hmm. they did three mocks with their pitcherless crew. So they're going to have six total mocks where they're all said and done. There's going to be articles and ADPs and, it, it's cool because, like, Mason does his two early mocks, which I absolutely love because it, it mimics the NFDC, and, and I love that. But those are 15 teams. There's not a lot of 12-team mocks out there, at least not a bunch like this. So I, I get that that point of it. Uh, it you have a 12-team ADP. It, it's just different because it's one catcher. There's no corner, middle, infielder. There's only three outfielders. It's... It's fast and loose, and a lot of guys are on the waiver wire. Let's put it that way. That's yeah, the best sure. way I can put it. There's a lot it, of talent on the waiver wire. There's a wire. lot of talent out there. So if that's your style, yes. If not, let's sit back and see how this went. But um, we're going to go back and forth. I was picked three. You were picked seven out of 12. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of go through. I'll go with mine. We'll hit you. You can wrap it around yours. I'll hit mine. I'll wrap it around so on and so forth through the uh, through the draft and kind of give our thought process as on our picks um it started out with trout acuna i took yellick at three it's one of those i kind of s- said with the catcher position with real mito and grandal trout acuna yellick i just want one of the three whatever fell to me there i was going to take it was it was that simple to me um yeah, we, we kind of discussed it i think in the chat or somewhere else if you were doing the nfbc uh kentucky derby style kds um Do you want the third pick? Do you want – which pick do you want? Some guys are saying they wanted the third pick, so you get the back pick sooner. I took Yellick. It gets me average power, stolen bases, everything you could want right out the gate. I am not as concerned about his injury as others will be. It might backfire. But the talent level of a guy like Christian Yellick and those cool new uniforms the Brewers released today, I am all aboard at Christian Yellick at three. This is pretty much not a lot of analysis needed. It's pretty self-explanatory for me at Christian Yellick. What did you do at number one?
2: Yeah, Bubba, I I don't like your team already. I mean, you've already drafted <laughs> you've already drafted the guy who's trying to hate on you, Darvish, on Twitter. I love the beef. Nobody hates on you, Darvish, on Twitter. Nobody on, nobody, nobody, on on Twitter. Nobody, yeah. nobody tries to bully you, Darvish, on Twitter.
1: It was so funny too because it wasn't even you, Darvish's tweet that started the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I know it it's wasn't. So it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. I don't know. I I I like responded to it, and it w- it was funny. But I'm also like, man, Darvish seems like a nice dude, and that seemed like a like a bully move. So, anyways, I'm just gonna call your team the bullies. i <laughs> It the gets yucky, better. Yucky bullies. The um, Yucky bullies. So yeah, no, I, and I think Yelich. If I was if I was drafting tomorrow, my guess is that Yelich would probably be my number one hitter. Um, going off the board so I really love Lila i I did, I did love that you were able to get him with the number three not that you're gonna get anybody bad with the number three pick with number seven I was very pleased I was hoping that Garrett Cole was gonna fall to me um, at never number, number seven sometimes in twelve team drafts you know the starting pitchers um, especially ones where you know they're they're not super deep um you know the the starting pitchers are devalued a little bit but I was very excited to grab Garrett Cole i don't think anybody who's listened to the podcast or listen to me, blah, 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 uh, <laughs> knows that I love Garrett Cole. And when you look at his steamer projection, you know, a three ERA, which I believe is number one for starting pitchers, a 102 whip, which is tied for best among starting pitchers and a 279 strikeouts, which is tied um, for the best. Obviously, whether or not, you know, where he ends up will have some say in the matter, but I don't think any where that he goes is going to keep me from getting him a 40% strikeout rate over an entire season is just uh, absolutely filthy. He's the youngest quality starting pitcher, um, maybe outside of Walker Bueller. Um, and so he's definitely my number one. And, and if I had had the number one pick, I probably would have gone with him um, over over some of the hitters just because I think that pitching is, top end pitching is more scarce. And I feel like I can make up the hitting in, in depth, especially with such a such a shallow league.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. What did you do in your um, wraparound? Oh
2: man, man, I get to go two times in a row. Not yep, a not a yep. surprise to anybody either. I drafted a starting pitcher with my second pick as well. Uh, I got Shane Bieber uh, at this place. Um, Cole was off the board. Degrom was off the board. Bueller was off the board. Verlander was off the board. Scherzer was on the off the board. You know, I was considering Bieber or Clevenger. Thinking about it now, especially in a 12-team draft, I might have gone hitter here. I think this would have been a really nice place to get Jose Ramirez, maybe. Uh, Jose Ramirez, even a a Freddie Freeman, I know I've kind of touted the importance of, you know, stolen bases and and not kind of losing out on that early on. But um, I probably would have gone Ramirez in this spot if that's who I was thinking about from a hitter perspective. Um, And looking at some of the pitchers that went later on, I think especially in a shallow 12-team draft, I maybe should have held off on that second pitcher until the third round, but I didn't. And I get Bieber. And I think I started off with, um, you know, Heath cap started off Degrom and Verlander. I think that definitely is very close to a Cole Bieber combo, but I think, you know, we have, I feel pretty good that I have the best starting pitching uh, to start with. And then I think there was one, two, three, four, five, six guys, seven guys, eight guys who didn't draft a starting pitcher in their first two picks and so i feel pretty good matching up against those uh teams in starting pitcher what did you do in the second round um
1: yeah i was i was one of those eight guys that you you you, you, you batch up well with so i didn't want to i we, didn't want to hate i didn't want to hate <laughs> yeah i, I went uh I, I went with my you know all around average power speed again steamer had Yellick for 22 stone bases they had fernando thought junior for 20 hitting 264 28 jacks I took him. Uh, it, it felt weird. like Looking back again on the 12-team format, maybe even in 15, with as deep as shortstop is, I could have maybe gone somewhere else. At the same time, I love getting Fernando Tatis Jr. and all the tools he brings to the table. Uh, at the end, I was happy with my draft. I just think you know, I maybe could have waited and got a different shortstop because it's such a deep position. Mm-hmm. But but I love what Fernando Tatis brings to the table. I think the steamer projections are potentially low on him. We saw him at 22 home runs in 84 games. They have him for 28 and 150, and I think that power is legit. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's in, like, the mid-30s. By season's end, he's going to get all the chance in the world to do whatever he's got to do um, in that lineup. So I'm, I'm a big Tatis fan, and he went right – I took him right, after, right before that pick there's gonna be a trend jeff zimmerman had the fourth pick and he took either guys i i was debating like a one verse one and he took the other guy every time a lot or mm-hmm. right before me like he took jose ramirez who i've been taking in all my mock drafts in the second rounds and jeff zimmerman took him so i would have taken jose ramirez in a heartbeat right there mm-hmm. but i have no problem taking fernando Tatis jr um after that it wraps around strasburg went to brit hershey to start round three and so I want to be one of those guys and not take a picture in the first three rounds. So I went with one I really liked. And I, I took Mike Clevenger. I took him right before Chris Sale. Uh, Jack Flaherty was the other one on the board for me. Jack Flaherty went after Sale. But Clevenger, Sale, CL, Flaherty. So the run began. All of us that didn't take pictures early, we all grabbed one right away. But I, I love me some Mike Clevenger. Uh, I think he could take that next step. It's It's a very... Interesting thing with him because we've seen the, the the highs and the lows with him at times, the velocities there, the locations there. But you look at his steamer projections, they got him going close to 200 innings with a 3.66 uh, ERA and almost 11 Ks per nine. I'm a big fan of strikeouts per, uh, per nine as, as just a, a small thing to look at. But I love the, the big strikeout guys, especially early on in my drafts. So uh, Mike Clevenger, big
2: fan of that as my ace of my staff. What yeah, you got and, next. And I you know, I was hating, but uh, I don't mind where where you went in the in the in the place because I think I was considering Bieber or Clevenger in in my spot. And so I think the fact that you were able to get Clevenger to pair with Yelich and Tatis Jr. is a really nice uh, starting three. And I think it really points to the fact I love being at the top end of the draft uh, this mm-hmm. this year. I just think it's gonna be a much stronger position uh, to be in. Um, particularly from pitching, because if, you, if this was a 15-team draft, pick number 30 would have been D- J.D. Martinez. And we were all the way through Jack Flaherty on pitchers, right? Yep. And so it's just um, pitching is going to go fast. It's going to go furious. And I think in, in NFBC, it's going to be even more aggressive. Exactly. So you're That's looking at you know round three in a 15-team draft, going back in the third round, Like Blake Snell, Aaron Nolan, Patrick Corbin are kind of the guys you're looking at. Now, they're not slouches by any stretch of the imagination, but it just gives you a sense of like, you know, that 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 pitching is going to go early again, um, I think. And it's going to be there's a real onus on top end pitching, because I do think that there's a lot of really good guys, but guys that you're kind of like, they could also not be that good. Um, so we'll see. Everybody could not be good. So, anyways, uh, next up, I had pick 31, and this was a tough pick for me because, um, I don't love it, but you know, in such a shallow draft, you're really looking for, you know, things that stand out uh, from players, and and nothing stands out in the game of fantasy baseball like Alberto Mondesi's speed. And so Mondesi was still around at pick 31, which I was very surprised about um and so i ended up taking him and i felt okay about it at the time just because i think the speed the fact that he's got a ton of speed and the fact that he um you know is not hit you know is that he hits for a decent amount of power and then the counting stats are decent and the batting average is in a total sinkhole uh just just lifts his value so much i do think that if this was a real draft i would have had a lot of hesitancy taking him before we know more about the injury Um, I just think that, you know, we, the injury concerns me. It's something similar I've read to what Michael Comforto went through and the fact that he re-injured that shoulder is of concern to me. And so I'm really going to need to see him be healthy to take a stab at Mondesi. But I also knew that taking him that I didn't want to just put all of my eggs in his basket when it came to speed. So coming around the other way, and I think this was a strategic error on my part. Um, I went with Javi Baez at pick, I think, what is it? 44. I can never remember. 42. At pick 42, Javi Baez was still around. Um, And I think number one, this represents like a little bit of a change for me because my top two guys have terrible plate discipline. But Baez is a five category contributor. I think he had a little bit of an off year. He had some injuries towards the end of last year, but he still put together a heck of a season. Um, I think the batting average at this point is pretty secure. 273 is the worst he's put up from a batting average perspective, and 280 is fine. He's 30 home runs. He's over 10 stolen bases. He's going to get a lot of counting stats in that decent uh, Cubs lineup, and again, he didn't have the best season ever this year coming off of his career year in 2018, and so I think that, you know, I think there's there's, there's more to life moving forward. If I were to redo this pick, I would have taken Ozzie Albies though. I just think that shortstop is so deep and without a middle infield position, I pretty much am already, you know, I've got my shortstop and then I filled up one of my utility spots already with another shortstop with so much depth left in the position. And I think that second base thins out pretty quickly. So I kind of wish that I went with uh, Ozzy Albies here. I had a little bit of buyer's remorse, but still, I like the hitting combo of, of, you know, one five category contributor and a guy who is who is giving me a, a, a big advantage on speed. What about you? What did you yeah. do in round four?
1: Round four, at 4.10. I took a second baseman in Cato Marte. I am uh, buying back in that last year was not a fluke. I, I liked him when he was a prospect and he finally ballooned, uh, you know, 14 homers in 2018, 32 at 19. Steamer still has him at 22. I'll take 25. I'll, I'll take 25 all day. Because the thing I love about Marte, which goes with uh, yellow, can kind of offset some other things in the future. He's going to be a good hitter. He got 329 last year, steam resin for 296. Um, i I'm, I'm a big fan of that going forward. And if he can get 10-plus stolen bases, I'll take that as great because I already got two guys that can steal some bags ahead of him. So that's something I definitely like with Cattell Marte uh, as he goes forward. And then when we wrap it around 5.3, you know, after Marte went, Nola, your boy Albie's, Bogarts, Chris Bryant, and then it comes back to me, and I'm so glad that they took Chris Bryant because I kept looking at him, going, should I? If I do, I'll never hear the end of it. So I probably shouldn't do it. Um, at 5.3, I took my guy. Um, uh, I, I took, I took my guy. It was happening. Calling my shot <laughs> time. Uh, Eugenio Suarez is a member yeah. of my team. It's it, if you take him in a league that I'm in with you, there's going to be conversations. Let's just put that because wow.
2: this is this. This is my guy. I'm not gonna do anything mean. I'm just uh, there will
1: be conversations. Yeah, I would and never he,
2: anticipate you doing anything mean, Bubba. <laughs> yeah, I
1: wouldn't do that. I, I, I'm snarky, but I'm not mean. Um yeah. he he's he uh he hit steamer's down for two fifty two. Yeah, I don't expect him to hit two seventy-one like last year. Then again, he hit two eighty three and eighteen. So you never know. I know there's been a lot of reports out between uh Max Freeze and Dave Richards and a lot of these guys that are producing really quality contact on barrels and pool percentages and all these things that him playing in great American small park really benefits his game. Like we know that's a great hitters environment, but certain guys benefit even more and he's one of them. So as long as he's there, we can't like negate that we can't just pretend it's not there. And I'm not a hundred percent sure steamer takes that into account. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't. I, I know they take a lot of things into account, but I don't think they take that level of consideration into it. They still haven't project, projected for 35 home runs, and I just love the fact that yellow Tatis, Marte, and Suarez, I have power out the yin-yang. I got pretty good speed overall. Suarez doesn't help with that. I don't really have an average dump anywhere at this point in time, and it, having those four guys there in a small league like this really allows me to do what I'm going to do pretty soon, which is really rare for me, which I'll talk about in my next two picks, but it really let me change kind of my philosophy on how I was going forward. And uh, that's one reason why I love Ian Swartz to begin with. He doesn't really kill you anywhere except steals, which you should hopefully have taken care of before you get to him. Anyways, who's your next pick?
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, so one of the things that I forgot to mention in my last analysis is, so I took those two starting pitchers to start off, but I knew taking those two starting pitchers to start off that, my next 10 or so picks were all gonna be hitters. So I essentially wanted those two aces to anchor my rotation, giving me kind of uh, some really you know solid anchors for back of a lack of a better term to start it off. but then I went, I'm gonna go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine straight hitters um, after that. So that was some part of my thinking ahead of time was just to get those two aces and then then go gangbusters on the on, on offense. So my next pick, I was excited to get Anthony Rizzo uh, at this point. So this is pick 55. You know, Rizzo is just an incredibly consistent performer. Um, He hits for average, gets plenty of counting stats, runs, RBI, hits a decent amount of home runs. Like he's no, he's not a, he's never going to be like a mass. He's not, he's not going to hit you 40 home runs, right. But he's going to hit you 25 to 30. He's not going to hurt you. He's going to contribute a little bit of stolen bases. And I think just the, uh especially with Mondesi and Baez is my top two who are a little bit more, uh, there's higher variance in their performance. I think with Rizzo, a little bit more of a stable commodity um, and a guy that I really like. And I think first base really shallows out um, early on as well. I think, you know, Matt Olson went a little bit afterwards who I like, you know, Goldie's not a bad value where he's going right now, but. After that, it's pretty thin, and I just think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, hits and misses after that point. So I was excited to grab uh, Rizzo. Um, On my next time around, I was getting a little worried about second base and how thin it was getting, Um, and I also knew that I wanted a power-speed combo at this point with somebody who wasn't going to hurt me with batting average, you know, with Baez and Rizzo there, I've got two kind of 280, 290 anchors for the batting average. Mondesi, you know, 250, 260. So not really hurting you a lot. And Keston Hira has a nice a little steamer projection going on uh, right now. Uh, he's got his steamer projection is 270 batting average, 29 home runs, uh, 13 stolen bases, and 166 uh, runs plus RBI. I love the venue. I love the fact that he's hitting in Miller Park, which is one of the best uh, hitting, hitting parks. He's gonna have a great lineup in front of him. Um, I think he's got an opportunity to really settle into that lineup. And I think the quality of contact is for sure. I'm a little worried about the strikeout rate being so high, but you know he makes enough quality of contact where I think he can kind of overcome that a little bit. I don't think he's gonna have a really high batting average. I also don't think the, the batting average is gonna be really, good, really low. And I think we could see him take uh, the next step uh, heading into next year. So I was feeling pretty good, you know, with my offense Um, at that point. You know, I've got three guys who are contributing. uh, Well, two guys that are contributing, you know, probably around 15 stolen bases, one guy who's at around 40, and then Rizzo who's contributing six. So I'm feeling pretty solid on speed. Uh, Every single one of those guys is going to hit, you know, well, Montese will hit like 15 home runs or something like that, but Baez, Rizzo around 30, Hero around 30 as well, based on the projection, and none of them are really drains on the batting average. So I'm feeling pretty good, pretty consistent, you know. But what did hurt is there were some guys who went later on in terms of pitching, like Lucas Giolito, Charlie Morton in this spot, whereas a little bit like ah, you know, um you know, those are guys who fell further than maybe I would have anticipated, um, you know. And I love Giolito, but uh, pretty happy with where I was at that point in time, and and this is where you you pulled a little double tap on the starting pitcher action.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, first on on your your first baseman comment, I uh, I played chicken a lot and I lost, and it's going to show when I pick my first baseman. It was it, it's not as deep as mm. you would think. Nope. So I'm with you there, and I like the Kesson here the pick because we talked about second base being pretty shallow. At, here a at picks pretty solid. I did double tap pitchers. I pitched I picked two guys up. That uh, Steamer has projected for sub four ERAs, both striking out around 200 players and are both, you know, one is not the ace of his staff because he pitches with the back to back Cy Young winner. The other could be the ace of the staff. I went with Noah Syndergaard, who I've said time and time again, I'm not a Noah Syndergaard fan, but I'm also a value fan. And to me, upside of Syndergaard after, you know, I, I could have went you Darvish, who went three picks later. I really could have won you Darvish. I went center guard, shooting for the moon there, thinking 12-team league. I'll take that chance there. So I like the upside with him at that point as my SP2, especially when I bring it back with Luis Severino, who is the Yankees ace, who had the injuries last year. It is a concern, yes, but we saw him come in the postseason out of the bullpen and pitch pretty well. I, w- I was happy with the stuff we saw, the velocity we saw. I imagine with a full spring, we'll see him back up and running. So... I think Severino, and we've, I've seen this, and you've seen it probably as well, in the two early mocks and a lot of other drafts, Severino's dropping quite a bit. I can't remember – oh, it was uh, Scott Bogman from This League. In his um, pitcherless mock, he got Severino in the seventh round also. So it's kind of a trend we're seeing here. I think Severino's tremendous value. I imagine he's going to start climbing up the draft boards as we start hearing better news from him. So he's one of those guys – if you're drafting early NFPCS or some of these best balls, I take advantage of the value on Severino because I, I'm big on him. I could be totally wrong. I'm not a pitching guru. I know bats much better than arms, but uh, I like Severino. So center guard Severino to go with my Clevenger gives me three pitchers I'm pretty happy about through seven rounds.
2: Yeah, I'm going to take a no comment on the Louis Severino. Um, we'll oh, you're not a positive. fan? We'll, we'll keep it a positive a positive podcast. No, I'm um, curious. What what is it? Enlighten uh, I, me. You know, I was down on Severino last year. One of my bold predictions was that he wasn't. He was going to be bad, um, so I didn't own him anywhere last year. I actually traded in him him in one of my dynasty leagues for Garrett Cole. Uh, and Ooh. I um I just I just think that he's a, he's kind of a two pitch pitcher. The changeup isn't great. The slider, the fastball, um, but he gets hit really hard. Uh, he got really hit really hard uh, second half of. 2018, it could have been really bad luck, but you know, if the happy fun ball is back next year, we have never seen Severino for a full season with the happy fun ball, and uh, I'm just not. I think there's a lot of. He could certainly be very good. Uh, I know that a lot of projection systems like him. Uh, I'm just, I'm just not. I'm just not as much. A, I'm just not as much of a fan of, of Severino. Um,
0: okay.
2: So I'll have to dive in though and just try to trying to eradicate biases from. Um, from myself and not think of players as the players but think of them as you know fantasy assets and not be biased against them so I'll keep an open mind. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh my next uh pick was um at this point I was you know again I was trying to target batting average um I knew that later on that was going to be a little bit of a harder thing to uh go after and so I I got Michael Brantley. I was actually hoping. I was Praying that J.T. Real Muto, for a mock draft, I've never prayed so hard. Uh, I was hoping that J.T. Real Muto was going to fall to me. Uh, I really wanted to snag Real Muto. I thought I could wait a little bit longer, but Bobby Sylvester grabbed him, uh, which was a really nice pick on his um, on his end. And so I went with Michael Brantley. Loved the batting average. Loved the counting stats. Loved the you know mid twenties power with a little bit of stolen base added on top of that um I just think it's a really really nice balanced solid profile that's going to boost the average considerably. So I like that. And then coming back around, I was really hoping that Jose Abreu was going to make it back to me. Um it was uh this is the 8th round. I'm really bad at like what at what picks these actually are. Um so it was the 8th round and it was a brown pick 100. I know that for a fact. I'm scrolling through my uh, it was 90. Pick 90. Uh, I went with Abreu. Abreu, based on the valuations that I was looking at, they're very crude evaluations, just using you know the the league settings and the auction calculator based on on fan graphs. Abreu you know, uh, was clearly one of the best players left over. First base was very limited, so I knew that I was going to be filling my other util spot, because there is no CI here. But I just love the Abreu combo. I love you know, the improving White Sox lineup. I love the RBIs from him, just on a consistent basis. I love the batting average. Outside of his injured, injury plague season, it's 280 or above. Uh, he's gonna contribute 30 home runs, and there's upside with those home runs because his ground ball so rate so high. So if he ever hits the ball in the air a little bit more, we may see a little bit of a dip in batting average, but I think he could be looking at a little bit more of a monster when it comes to power, but either way, really comfortable with that profile. Um, having, uh, you know, Baez and Rizzo and Brantley, I feel pretty good about my runs, which is the one area where Brady was a little lacking. So adding that RBI, uh, into there, I felt like rounded out my squad in a pretty, pretty nice way. And then also recognizing that by me taking another first baseman and a guy that I really wanted, um, you know, there was a limited number of first basemen for other people to choose from. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you saw that there, there was Reese Hoskins went next and there was three rounds without any first baseman uh, taken. And then some guy took some other guy after that, but I'll wait for that. Um, so now it's that, uh, now it's over to you in the eighth round. Who'd you go with?
1: Yeah. The eighth round, I went back to some bats. went got some more outfielders. Nick Castellanos is always a guy I've really liked. We saw him getting out of Detroit and it just, his bat is blew up even more. This obviously we have to see where he lands, but, you know, Steamer's got him at 275 with 25 homers. I think that's very realistic. I imagine he's not going to sign in a place that's going to hinder him, especially as outspoken as he is on that kind of situation. I would be I'd be happy if he gets in, like, you know, goes back to Chicago or something. So I, I think that's a, an interesting spot for him. And then, you know, you just want to talk about guys dropping. Jose Barrios went right after that in the Ooh. eighth round. I think that could be a sneaky play uh, as drafts go on. But yeah. then at nine point three, I go with another outfielder here. A guy that um, I'm always super high on. He's battled injuries throughout his career and everything, but still finished with thirty-three homers last year. Twenty-seven or more homers in three straight years. We like got two fifty-seven or higher average and two of three. Steamers got him for thirty-three home runs again next year. I think this guy is gonna take the next step potentially, or at least duplicate last year's numbers. So Michael Conforto in the ninth round of me, I'm very, very happy about. Uh, I might be too high on him, but I think the upside of Michael Conforto is tremendous. I already got stolen bases. I'm, I'm happy with. I need to address them a little more as the draft goes on, which I kind of do a little bit. I might the more I look at my draft, I maybe should have been a little more aggressive on stolen bases. But if you know Castellanos gets me five to ten, Conforto gives me five to ten, you add those on to the big guys I got earlier, and it goes back to why I took those guys earlier. It affords this luxury. So, Castiano's Conforto, two twenty-five plus home run guys, you know, two sixty plus averages, run producers, really uh, helps the squad out. It gives me two more outfielders to
2: go with through nine rounds. I see you got your uh, your catcher in round nine. I did get my uh, my catcher. I went with the Asmani Grandal at this point, point. and I think the thing about drafts that are the twelve-team drafts, especially shallow twelve-team drafts, is. There isn't a ton that separates guys at this point in drafts, I don't think. And so uh, I went with a catcher uh, because I think Grandal stands out above, you know, just from a consistency standpoint, um, you know, above the other guys that are, um, you know, kind of uh, behind him for catcher. actually – so Wilson Contreras went in the 10th round, and then there's one, two, three, four, five, about six rounds before the next catcher goes. Uh, Sanchez was already off the board. Real Muta was already off the board. And I just really like Grandall. I think he's going to end up in a decent spot. You know, the rumors that I've seen are like the Reds, which would be fine. Um, I've heard, uh, you know, um, God, who is the team today that they're talking about? The Blue Jays, which I think would be fine. He's a guy who's in volume. Yeah, I just think he's he's really solid. And and he stands out above the other catchers, both in terms of a steamer valuation using the or evaluation, using the Steven projection. And, and you know, he was he was up there like as a top kind of 35 guy, I think overall uh, with the valuations that I was looking at. So Grandal was uh, was the guy in that scenario. At this time, I'm getting like a little bit of anxiety around speed because one of the things that I have talked about for a couple years now is just the need to diversify your speed so that you're not relying on one guy. That was one of my concerns with Ad- Adalberto Mondesi was just thinking like, You know, I got Mondesi and like inside my head, I'm like, oh, I'm good on stolen bases. I'm good on stolen bases, but really wanted to make sure that I get that. But um, I was also a little worried about third base shallowing out. Um, Josh Donaldson went right before me. Um, I was hoping to get Yasiel Puig actually at this point in time. I think that value would have been um, absolutely uh, stupendous. Um, I will say with the Abreu pick earlier, I forgot to mention this. Tommy Pham uh, went after him. I was going to go with Pham, but he was, for some reason, DH only in the drafts that we were doing. So I wasn't sure whether to go with, like, you know, getting a DH only. Like I wasn't sure whether to go with him or, or whatnot. So I ended up going with Abreu. But he was another guy I was considering. But I went with Mike Moustakis at third base in the 10th round. Um, so that was pick 114. I partially did that because of my Grandal gif. It included Grandal <laughs> high-fiving Moustakis. And so I really thought it would be, you know, kind of clever to foreshadow my next pick by including him in the earlier gift with a different player on his team. But Mustakis at 114, I'm not sure if I would do this, but I like the dual eligibility at second and third. Um, for him, you know, he's consistently hit for power. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up this offseason. But let me tell you, Steamer really loves him. I mean, the Steamer mm-hmm. projection for him, I think, is 35 home runs, 85 runs, 95 RBI with a uh a not too shabby batting average what is it with a 260 batting average and so you know that's not bad at all and and I wanted to kind of beef up a little bit on the power um and the RBI knowing that later on in the drafts the guys that I was going to be looking at might be a little bit more speed oriented might be a little more run heavy um so I felt pretty good about uh, that maneuver right there but I was hoping that Yasiel Puig uh, would fall to me. And that would be like, just uh, totally heavenly. Uh, the one thing that I did do is I was just kicking myself for the shortstop picks earlier on, because, you know, at this point in time, like Tim Anderson was still on the board. I was like yeah. ETF, like getting Anderson as a 2020 guy at this spot. And then maybe, you know, getting Aussie Albies earlier at a second base or, or, um, you know, there's a ton of different directions I could have gone earlier. So, uh, just something to to think about, but um, that's kind of where I was at with Moustakas, wanting to fill in that third base because it is such a shallow league. There is no CI, there is no uh, middle infield. I was I was kind of putting a little bit of a more of an onus on position at this point in the draft than I normally would. So, what did you do in round ten?
1: In round ten, I t- I took my fourth starting pitcher, which is very not normal for me, and it's another guy that I you know I already took Cindergard, who I'm not huge on, but. I go with David Price. And it was kind of a mixed bag of I thought this was late for David Price. Again, I'm I'm used to drafting 15 team leagues. Price in the tenth round would be crazy. But I, I still think there's a lot to like with David Price. He had some really strong moments last year. Um it, it didn't end great, but his overall was was good. He was banged up a little bit, but Steamer still has him back to 164 innings, a four one six ERA, about a strikeout per inning. Which I'll take. And there's always upside pitching on a team like the Red Sox. Um, you know, you can't predict wins, but pitching on that team will, will luck you into some wins you probably shouldn't have. So, as my fourth starter, I do not hate David Price in that situation. And then when I wrapped it around in round 11, I went with the second relief pitcher, second closer off the board. Josh Hader went at 9.2 uh, uh, to. Um, Mike Gianella of uh, Baseball Prospectus, but I took Kirby Yates at 11.3 in round 11. I, I was pretty happy with this pick. I know, you know, you, you can't predict great seasons after great seasons, 41 saves steamers got him for 32. The Padres should be a pretty good team. They may trade him, They may not, but uh, the upside for a guy that Kirby Yates, the filth that Kirby Yates brings to the mound is darn impressive. And, and with the world of, saves that we saw last year locking up a guy like kirby yates on paper makes me feel pretty happy so i took him off the board i was going to take max kepler who went right before him thanks a lot mike gianella that was another one of my guys there so uh missed out on him but i'll take kirby yates and uh and see where the rest takes me what did you do in round 11
2: yeah, with round 11, I, I, I took a guy that I've gotten a lot of this year, and, and this is more of an upside play, especially given the format, but I went with Kyle Tucker um, right here. Um, if you take a look at um, you know his uh, steamer projection, the, the plate appearances are pretty low right now, but um, with uh, his steamer 600 is a 247 batting average, so that's not that great, but 29 home runs and 20 stolen bases for Tucker. Love this situation. I think this is, you know, there's no more reason to keep him down in the minors. I think this is the time that he gets his shot, that he at least gets a strong side of a platoon. And um, I think this was a daily format, but even in a weekly format, which I generally play, I don't mind if Tucker is in a strong side pl- platoon in the sense that, you know, his numbers are going to be better. Um, you know, if he if he does struggle against lefties, I haven't dove in to see that uh, or not. But if he does struggle against lefties, then, you know, he is going to, he is going to, um, you know, I'll plug him in there for those three games out of four days or two out of three, and he'll do pretty well. And then when he is facing lefties, I can miss and uh, I can uh, match him up with somebody else who's an outfielder who can be part of that platoon and kind of sub in for him when he's out. So overall, I don't think it hurts me too much from a volume perspective, but I think for Tucker, Uh, Even in that type of a scenario, uh, I think he can be very successful. And again, like if he gets to 29 home runs and 20 stolen bases, uh, that is going to be a a massive value at this point in the draft. And so I like that one. He's actually a guy that like when I put plugged my team into uh, and the projections into just kind of see like where I was at from an average perspective on a per player basis, he wasn't even in my starting lineup because the plate appearances are so low, but um you know, he's a guy that I that I that I would love to have if he's fallen around here, like at uh you know 127 or so, just because I think the upside is is legit, and I think you can you can afford to miss at any point during a draft, but I think you can really afford to take a take a gamble on upside uh, in a draft like this right here. So that's why I went with Tucker at that point in time, and then coming back around, I reinforced my uh, I have a, I had a really strong start with Kays, with Bieber and with uh, Cole that's about 500 projected strikeouts right there uh, and so I wasn't as concerned with strikeouts so I got a ratio and you know hopefully a wins guy in Kyle Hendricks um, he's consistently outperforms his projections that's one thing that I that I'd say to folks who are listening is don't look at the projection for Kyle Hendricks he's very consistently has a below league average babbit um, and that's something that the projection systems just can't seem to account for and so they always have him as a well over four ERA in the projections when he's been consistently um, in the threes at this point in the low threes at that, if not the twos. So um, really like that to just reinforce the ratios. I kind of liked him in that spot. Uh, You know, I felt like there was a little bit of dearth of, of pitching. So I liked going there. What did you go? What did you do with your first space spot in round 12?
1: It doesn't make me feel good, but I took Luke Voigt at round 12. Like Carlos Santana went earlier in the round A lot of first basemen are gone. Even looking at the ones that went after me, it's not pretty. Like It drops quick. It's it's pretty crazy. So I went Luke Voigt, and it's tough because he was the man in New York hitting 21 bombs, and then he got hurt. And then there was different guys, Mike Ford, they traded. Uh, Edwin Canarcion was there in dh There's there's all kinds of moving parts uh, in New York, and Voigt's coming off a surgery this offseason, so this could be this complete wasted pick, but I feel like if he can get that job back there, he does have that enormous power to have a big role. Steamer still has him projected for 17 home runs. That's assuming he only plays 99 games. So I'm obviously drafting him, assuming he plays more than that. This is one of those really taking a gamble type picks that I'm probably going to regret later, later in the season, but we'll see how it plays out now. And if worse comes to worse, I go start grabbing whoever's backup is on the waiver wire. But the upside of Luke Void is something I, I can get behind at that position. Uh, when we wrap around to round 13 at 13.3, I took another gamble, but this is one I don't mind. I know the injury concerns are always there, but at this point in the draft, AJ Pollock to me is a nice value. 22 home runs, 10 home run ups, or 10 stolen base upside, 253, 260 average on a Dodgers offense. That's going to be very, very good. Like always, you know, you got the MVP there in Cody Bellinger and a few other really good options. So I like AJ Pollock falling into the 13th round, I guess falling might not be the right word. But the upside with the Pollock we saw as he got healthy and came back was starting to hit really well late in the season. And assuming he can stay healthy could be a big assumption. I think AJ Pollock could be a big part of the Dodgers, and a big part of fantasy teams as you get us some nice values. I was looking at David Dahl. I wasn't like in love with him. He went right before. A.J. Pollock, Dahl's just that guy. I guess they're both injury questions. Dahl might have higher upside playing in Coors Field, of course, but as Eno Saris and others have proven, Dodger Stadium is actually a pretty nice hitter-friendly ballpark. So I don't hate that for A.J. Pollock at all. Round 13, I'll take
2: that chance.
1: I see you took a closer in round 13.
2: I did. I did take a closer, um, which is always a painful, painful experience. But <laughs> just on your Voight pick, uh, Derek Van Riper had a good tweet earlier today um, that he was looking at Luke Voight's splits before and after his abdominal injury and just how much better he was before it than he was yeah. after it. So maybe there is some hope that Voight, you know, can kind of return to form once he gets healthy. Obviously, you know, there's a little bit of an if there, but um, there's certainly some high upside as we've seen in the past. So, yeah, I was really excited, uh, actually, to draft a closer in this spot because, uh, God, what what pick is this? Uh, 151. Pick 151. At some point in time in my, like, little, you know, chain of thread of tweets about each one of my picks, I think I messed up, like, what the actual pick was. But at pick 151, I picked up Edwin Diaz. Absolutely love Diaz if this is where he's falling in drafts. I don't anticipate. I I anticipate that he's going to move up, you know, in drafts, but... The closer position is just, there's just so much variance in the closer position because of the small sample size of innings pitched. Um, And so I'm really looking for a guy who is going to be the closer, who is on a decent team um, and who has the skills to hold on to the role, right? We don't know whether they're going to be able to do it or not. We're hoping that they do well to start off with, which gives them a little bit of a leash, but you never know. You dive into, into Diaz. I mean, a 17.8% swinging strike rate, 99 strikeouts in 58 innings pitched. Um, you know, like his K minus walk rate is 30.3%, right? It's not his 38.2% from the previous year, but his 39% K rate is disgusting. Um, he didn't really have huge control issues either. I mean, his first pitch strike rate was at, uh, was at 63%. His zone percentage. Was right around where it's been in the past. He was still getting folks to chase on pitches outside the zone. They were certainly hitting him a lot harder, and you hope that that's not the ball, but a 377 Babbitt seems unsustainable. Uh, his strand rate was at 76.2%, which is actually like higher than usual, but for a guy who has his K rate, that's the lowest one that he had in his career. His home run per nine was at 2.33. His home run per five ball rate was at 26.8%. Um, so more than you know, pretty much double his career average heading into that. That to me has every, shows everything that, you know, whether it was mechanical or whatever was going on, I don't think it's um, going to hold on. And I think that, you know, Steamer's projection has him at 290 ERA, 105 whip with 98 strikeouts and 65 innings pitch, uh, which is, which is great. And so I'm totally fine having his, my, him as my closer one. You know, you're obviously just hoping that he has a better season heading into next year. Uh, in round 14, coming around, I picked up uh, Lorenzo Cain, who is another guy that I've gotten in a ton of different places. Um, I tweeted earlier today, Lorenzo Kane looked really good in the second half. He's got a huge gap between his expected metrics and his actual metrics. He was very much like the Lorenzo Kane of 2018 um, in 2019, but the results didn't show that. He was struggling through some injuries. He should get healthy. There's a little bit of a dip in sprint speed, which concerned me, but he was still stealing even in the second half with eight stolen bases. Getting him at around pick, you know, 165 is a very different value proposition than it is drafting him around an ADP of 60. So if he can get you those 18 to 20 stolen bases with, you know, a 280 batting average, like it's all gravy at that point from where you're um, drafting him. Hopefully he gets reinserted in that You know, number one spot atop the lineup. But I think as long as he stays out of that number eight spot, um, I don't mind uh, Kane. His expected batting average in the second half was 314. His expected slug was 456, I want to say. You know, everything, he had eight stolen bases. Everything looked fine. Um, I'm hoping that he gets healthy. He's obviously old, but I'm hoping he gets healthy. And I think he can uh, provide a little bit of value where he's going right now in drafts. What did you do? Uh, in round yeah,
1: 20. a healthy low cane will be very nice. And right before your low cane pick, Ben Palmer, sneaky Lance McCullough's pick. I can't wait to see where his draft value is going to be come February. Or so I think that's going to keep skyrocketing there. But um with my pick in round 14, 14.10, I went with my second closer and I went with what I'm perceiving to be value. I'm assuming, I'm predicting that we don't see the disaster. Of great Kimbrel that we saw in 2019, and Steamer seems to agree. A 3.55 ERA compared to the 6.53 in 2019, 35 saves, 91 strikeouts, and 65 innings pitched. That's the Kimbrel we've grown to love. And pitching for a Cubs team that should give him plenty of save opportunities. Getting Kimbrel around 14 is my second closer behind uh, Kirby Yates. Makes me kind of giddy inside. So uh, I, I would love that kind of setup for, for a closer situation. If I'm getting that uh, later in draft season when it actually counts, I'd be very happy with that. And then my next one, I took my fifth starting pitcher off the board, another riskier pick, 32 years old next season. Injuries are always a concern, but he still threw 182 innings last year, second highest in his career. Steamer had him for 183, 455 ERA because he loved giving up the long ball. But, uh, you know, 161 Ks in those 183 innings. And that's Masahiro Tanaka. This is a guy we've seen pitch phenomenally. And then other times just make you scratch your head. Um, you, you, I know you've dug into him and I've heard Nick Pollock and other pitching guys digging on him. A lot of it's just a pitch, pitch mix or location or it, it seems like simple stuff, but it's not always simple. Some of it's daytime at home. Like he's got some weird splits. I still like the overall structure of Masahiro Tanaka, especially pitching on the Yankees team where – you know, Again, similar to David Price, you're going to pick up some wins that you probably shouldn't. Uh, you're going to be facing teams like the Orioles a lot. The Rays are better. The Jays should be better. But you still got some nice matchups in division that I don't hate with Tanaka. And getting them at that point in the draft, Odoruzzi just went. Puck just went. A couple guys after him are interesting. But uh, I'll take the chance on Tanaka to go with my Price, Cindergaard, Severino, and um, Clevenger. It's a very interesting group of former stars and current stars but five for me good starting pitchers but we'll see how that plays out but that's that's where I went pitcher pitcher relief pitcher starting pitcher around 14 and 15 where did you go in 15?
2: Yeah um I went with uh I went with another outfielder uh I went with Nick Senzel um I just like you know, he started off so well, and then the, your injuries really derailed him. I tweeted out, I think it was last week, just about um, how well he was doing uh, before the injuries started to accumulate and then how he just kind of tapered off. Injuries are real, uh, for sure, but I think this is more of just kind of an upside pick here, where with this shallow of a, of a draft, I'm, I feel confident if there is an injury um, with a player that I will be able to replace them. Um, at this point in drafts, like fairly easily, especially in outfield. Uh, so, for instance, I don't even think like Brian Reynolds was drafted in our in our draft. So I, I just think, you know, I think Senzel could be, you know, like a 2015 guy um, on the Reds uh, batting lead off. I think he's got very good, you know, the hit tools there. And so hopefully he gets a little bit of health and is able to um, uh, to thrive. Uh, Danny Santana was my pick in round 16. I was a little bit bummed out. He doesn't have second base eligibility actually anymore, just first base and outfield heading into next year. Um, so a little bit of a bummer, but he might be a a potential kind of first base guy. But even when you look at the steamer projection for, uh, Danny Santana, um, you know, it's really, it's really nice. 19 home runs, 18 stolen bases and less than 600 plate appearances. Um, you know, they're... There wasn't a ton to like hate in the profile. Like, he's kind of a mini. I know this comp has been made before, but he's kind of a mini Javi Baez just with the approach. Makes a lot of contact, but he hits the ball really hard. Um, and when you look at his, uh, um, his stat cast metrics, you know, he's well above league average in average exit velocity, uh, above league average in hard hit rates, um, above league average in xwoba Woba and expected slug and expected BA and sprint speed. And so I think the whole package is there. He should get playing time. Um, and going, you know, what was this pick 186. I feel really good about getting a guy, um, with his potential, uh, at this spot in the draft who can fill in, uh, in a couple of spots for me, like just swap in Santana for Nick Senzel or, you know, Kyle Tucker if, if, if they're, uh, if they're injured and, and we're in, we're in great shape. So, uh, that was my, uh, picks, uh, 15 and 16. what did you do in round 16? I love this one.
1: In round 16, I took a guy that I I
2: targeted a lot
1: late last year, and it worked out. And people just keep sleeping on Ryan Braun. I don't quite understand why. 17, 20, 22 in the last three years for home runs, uh, 11 or more stolen bases in each of the last three years, brings you a decent average. In an offense like the Brew Crew who, you know, they lost a couple pieces, but they're going to bring some more guys back this year. Like they're going to spend money and make it happen. And Steamer believes that they got him for 28 home runs. He hasn't hit 28 home runs since 2016. Uh, they have him for like almost a 270 hours and 10 more stolen bases. I'm a big fan of what he brings to the table. He doesn't hurt you in any one category. He helps you in all of them. To get him this late in the draft for your, your outfield, especially in you know those five outfielder leagues, I'm a big Ryan Braun fan because you're not really taking a hit at all with a guy like Braun. So I, I love him as a pick at this point in the draft. And honestly, I'd probably rather have him over A.J. Pollock and I got him three rounds later. So it's a real uh, a real pick I, I enjoyed at that point in time. And then my other one is a guy that I've always been a big fan of, and that's Paul DeJong, DeJong uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a big-time power guy and even stole nine bases last year, which is big. The average is always a concern with DeJong. It, it's always been a concern. 241 two years ago, 233 last year. Steamer's got him for 252. If he can get you 250, he would be happy because he's going to give you 30 home run upside and the fact he's stealing bags, I like a ton. So Dion was actually my first bench guy, but he's another shortstop. Would have been like a middle infield option. Like once I started doing my bench, I started trying to get like middle infield and corner infield and stuff like that. Just kind of in my head, program myself to what I'd be looking for in the future. So Paul DeYoung was my pick in round 17, 17-3, right after Willie Calhoun. That's a sneaky pick by Gianella. I think that's a really, really good pick at that point oh, in the draft of Willie Calhoun. I like that a lot. But yeah, uh, was yeah a lot, all a lot
2: the of of in this in this round for sure.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of sneaky ones actually. Yeah, you know, after that Gibson Guriel, I and mean, then it heads over to you, second relief pitcher. Yes. Oh
2: man, and what a exciting, enthralling pick this is, Bubba. Uh, I, yes. I drafted Matt, Mark Melanson right before Will Smith. I uh, got picked up. Uh, Melanson has been kind of my closer two option so far in the preseason, primarily because he does have the closing job, even with Will Smith there. He showed some flashes of, of, uh, of, of decency uh, towards the, um, which is a lot better than uh, flashes of indecency from Mark Molanson. Uh, but uh, some <laughs> flashes of decency towards the end there. Uh, he started throwing his curveball a lot more when he went over to the Braves. It has a huge uh, ground ball percentage, 70% ground ball rate on that pitch, and a decent swinging strike rate. So he started to throw, throw that a lot more, and I think he did well because of it, I want to say that his ERA over his last 10 outings during the regular season with the Braves was like 1.5, something like that. Obviously, like, that's not the best way to uh, to figure out whether somebody's doing well or not. But the K-walk minus rate was decent. The strikeout rate was decent. He was giving up a ton of ground balls. Um, and, you know, with a guy, like, who has the job on a really, really good team that's going to see a lot of opportunities for saves at this point in the draft, I think it's a huge... His value play, uh, Taylor Rogers and and Jose LeClerc also went, um, you know, Archie Bradley went a little bit before that as well. So some guys who just maybe have a little bit more of a a better grasp on the closer role, but I really liked Melanson. I still do because I think this is probably going to draft him way back in drafts because people are going to assume that Will Smith has the position. It'll be interesting to see how that works out because I think if Will Smith kind of, rests in the 200 range because people aren't sure he's going to get saves and then melanson falls down to the 300 range i think that would be a really astute pick would be going like a will smith mark melanson a combo to just lock down that bullpen hopefully and in the save situation you never never know though uh, but i really liked a, a few picks afterwards i like the cabin biggio pick i know that people were kind of jumping on the fact that i was hating on him because he has like he hits the ball really, really weakly. He's like essentially Billy Hamilton when it comes to hitting the ball. Not really, but he's 450th out of 478 uh, hitters uh, in max exit velo. but uh, Ben Palmer drafted him. I like him at this position. It's all about uh, the value proposition and getting him after pick 200, I think is just absolutely excellent. I like the Trent Grisham call. I think, you know, he's a guy who, has a lot of potential in that um, Brewers lineup. I love Adrian Hauser as a starting pitcher next year. And then I love, love, love Joey Musgrove. <laughs> who was stolen from me by Matt uh, Modica. A great pick there. That's like the first time I have ever not owned Musgrove in a league in the last two years. But um, really like that pick. So there was some really good stuff going on there. And then I picked up Alex Colomay because... Uh, Melanson lost the closer gig I think between that pick and my next pick Um or something like that but I got column A just because 12 team league like let's take a lot of shots at some closers see what sticks um, have three closers in there maybe to start the season try to identify some starting pitchers on the waiver wire see how well those uh, relief pitchers stick and kind of mix and match throughout the rest of the year column A has been kind of meh from a skills perspective but uh, to my surprise, when you actually look at his worst season in the last four years, his worst season in the last four years was a 324 ERA and a 120 whip when he had 47 saves for the Rays. That was the worst ERA and the worst whip that he's had uh, in the last four years. And so that is a record of consistency. He might have gotten lucky this year, but we know how drastically you know skills and, and quality fluctuates year to year with closers. So I'm happy to get a guy who's got a, a long run at the gig, and I think the White Sox are going to be better uh, than people anticipate. I think they'll be in that wild card race in the AL next year. But that should be pretty interesting. His skills also improved in the second uh, towards the end of the year uh, for uh, him. Who did you go with in uh, round 18?
1: Yeah, I like that Colomay pick a lot. I've been a big Colomay fan for a while, and he should be plenty good on the White Sox. I went with Nick Solak at pick 18. 0.10. So like the guy I picked up in TGFBI last year, big fan of him uh, in uh, 19 between A and the bigs, 22 home runs, five stolen bases. He hit 293 with the Rangers in 33 games. And uh, actually, if you combine his it, 2019 Rangers raise in A and Rangers, he combined for 32 home runs and eight stolen bases. So the dude was raking last year. We saw in 2018, he had 19 overs and 21 steals. He's shown big steal upside in the minors. Always a pretty good average. Tons of, uh, you know, 15, 20, 20 20-plus homers. Steamer's got him for 21 homers, eight stolen bases, and a 268 average. I think he could have more steals and a better average than that. His hit tool is very, very good. A lot of hard-hit balls last season in his short tenure. We'll see how the new ballpark in Arlington is. It's going to be like a climate-controlled dome, kind of like uh, Houston, so they can open and close the roof. Probably not the uh, cameras in center field, but the other things will be there. Uh, to, to, to mimic Houston's environment Ooh. to hit in. But uh, I, I do like Solak quite a bit. And then on my way back around at 19.3, I picked up another pitcher, the one, the only Joey Lucchesi of the San Diego Potters. And this one was an interesting one to me because I think the ceiling is very high for him if you can ever pitch a whole season. And Steamer's got him at 185 pitches. I would die for 185 pitches. We saw 163 last year, 130 the year before. So things would dictate we're going to see the 185, uh, you know, 436 ERA, 177K, so a little less than a K per inning. I know you listen to, like, uh, Nick Pollock and Paul Spohr going to the slurve and all these different pitches he throws. The, the What do they call it? The uh, They have different names for it. But uh, he's got some phenomenal pitches, and watching him pitch is, is crazy good. In the second half of the season, he looks really, really dominant. So I liked what I saw from him. I watched him quite a bit beat up on the Giants. I know it's not a difficult task last year, but just watching the way he pitched was uh, a good sight to see. So, Joey LaCasse uh, as my sixth starting pitcher, I got no problem with that at all. He might actually, you know, play over some of my other guys as the season goes on. I see you added another starting pitcher as well.
2: I did, yeah. Uh, in round 19, I went with Miles Mikolas. Uh, I think it's pick 223. So like it was a lot of value here, especially for the volume, you know, I already have a pretty good, you know, just start to the ratios uh, with three guys that I picked up and even with the Ks. And so with Mikolas, with uh, category being Ks and not necessarily K per nine, I'm less worried about that, you know, volume, good pitchers park, decent team. Um, And we've seen that, you know, even when he's not his best, he's not terrible, Uh, you know, a low fours ERA, which in today's game is not atrocious. So I went with Mikolas. I really did like the uh, Heath caps. picked up J.D. Davis um, in this round, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a really good pick. Yeah, I thought that was a sharp pick. And then he also followed that up with Justin Upton, which I really liked as well. And then uh, Ben Palmer picked up Sal Perez at this point in time, which I think is is a massively good pick there. So some really nice picks in that round. And then when I came back around, went with a similar guy in Sandy Alcantara, um, you know, young guy, Velo is there, guys don't hit the ball hard against him, started throwing his sinker towards the end of last year. And that really improved his import, uh, his performance, increased his ground ball rate. He's more in the zone um, because he's throwing that sinker more and he can kind of rely on it. The strikeouts uh, from a, you know, K per nine perspective also aren't terrific, but the actual strikeout um, metrics aren't bad. Like his swing strike rate, is at or better than league average toward the end of last year. Um, He has the velocity. He's young. He's got a killer changeup. You know, at least he he used to. Um, uh, And so I really like uh, Alcantara a lot heading into next year. And I think the volume of strikeouts isn't going to be terrible. One thing that the sinker helped him out with a ton is he is, um, much better at throwing it in the zone, um, or at least he throws it more, and so more of his pitches are in the zone. It really helped him curb the walk rate. It had him throwing less pitches per inning, and he was throwing a ton of seven innings pitched towards the end of the year, which was really nice uh, for him. So I like him a lot as a start, as a late starting pitcher heading into this year. Um, I will say that I was horrified when I saw that Jeff Zimmerman drafted Merrill Kelly. Mm-hmm. I was Totally bummed out about that because I thought I had maybe a round or two to snag him, but I guess not. Um, yeah. Who did you go with in round
1: 20? I was looking at Merrill Kelly as one of my next two picks, and that obviously did not happen. I should have taken Dustin May, who went after me, or Aaron Savali. Those were good picks. Yours was a good pick as well. But my pick in round 20, 20.10, was Mark connor of the Oakland A's. I really like Connor. 26 home runs last year. We've seen power all throughout the minors and his other stints with the A's. Hit 273. We haven't seen an average like that from him. Uh, steamer got him projected at 250, which is much more what you'd expect with Mark Connor, But they still have him projected for 25 home runs. Uh, the power is legit with this guy. And, and I think we might see, you know, being uh, 30, he's going to be 31 next year. He might be one of those late bloomers. And, and I think he might get another big year out of him in Oakland as he's cheap, so they're going to play him a lot, maybe try to trade him. I, I think he's a fun later-round draft pick to target in your outfield positions. And then I wrapped it around at 21.3 with this might have been more a pick with my heart than my brain. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. But I really hope the Rays finally figure out how to play Nate Lowe at first base. I know G-Man Choi was actually good. I get it. But your future's Nate Lowe. It's very simple to me. 23 home runs combined in AAA and the pros last year. Uh, You know, he's got a good average. Steamer only has him for 84 games uh, at 14 home runs. I'd have to pull up his Steamer 600, but uh, I'd imagine they have him sitting at a pretty interesting clip as well. Let's look at first base, Nate Lowe, uh, Steamer 4 or 600. Yeah, there he is. They got him at 263. 25 homers, 27 doubles, five, or, uh, two stolen bases. I would love 263-25 in a heartbeat, uh, 346 OBP. Uh, the talent is legit with Lowe. There's no hiding that at all. It's just a matter of getting the playing time. So I, I took him with my third to last pick, and it's kind of one of those, if he were to be the starter, I could probably slide him in over Luke Voigt. It was kind of a safety net thing. Towards the end of the draft, because I still was not sitting happy with Luke Voigt, even though I love the potential of Voigt, I'm concerned at the same time. So, Kana and and Lowe are my picks from round 20 and 21. You went with a third straight pitcher in round 21.
2: Third straight pitcher, yeah, my boy Dylan Bundy. Um, I've talked about him a lot, but the things that I love about Bundy, slider is elite. Uh, Changeup is borderline elite. He's got two really, really good pitches. He's had a bad fastball for a number of years which has just been killing him, but he started throwing a sinker uh, towards the end of last year, increased his ground ball rate, limited the damage uh, quite a bit, Uh, and so if he can continue that, I think he's a decent pitcher. My hope is that Bundy in some way, shape, or form increases his velocity by a tick or two uh, in this upcoming year. I think that could do wonders. He's kind of one of the guys, um, uh, I think it was actually Derek Boyd of Baseball HQ who I first saw make this kind of connection but as a potential kind of giolito for next year because he's got those two really good breaking balls um and the fastball just isn't there but he's got that prospect pedigree he's thrown hard in the past and so if the if the new player development machine in the with the orioles can increase that velocity a little bit i think he can take um you know that that next step and so i'm just banking on that and if it doesn't work out you know then you move on but at this point in time going upside there uh, the next picks, I really loved the, the Jose Urquidy, uh pick from Ben Palmer. He definitely wasn't on my radar um, and should have been. I uh, really like that pick um, a lot. Uh, my next pick I really loved. Um, I know it's kind of super boring, but Adam Eaton. Uh, I think Adam Eaton is super underrated. He seems like a very unlikable guy in general but you know from a fantasy (laughs) perspective like yes he has been um injured for a little bit but my god like the year he put up this year um you know so this year he hit 279 with 103 runs 15 home runs 15 stolen bases and 50 rbi going from like what spot like 200 or 200 plus in drafts he's a contact hitter he's got a great approach at the plate Um, You know, his contact actually increased last year. He hits the ball a decent amount hard. Hits the ball a decent amount in the air. You know, he's stealing. He's batting number two. He's set there for next year with uh, with the Nats, you know, batting in front of Soto and behind Turner. You know, his steamer projection is 282, 15 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 88 runs, and 63 RBIs at this point in the draft. I just absolutely love Adam Eaton. He's going to be a guy that I'm targeting in drafts next year uh, all over the place because he's a massive contributor across the board. Um, you know, outside of maybe RBI, but you know, at this point in time, like I just I just love that pick and he's actually the guy when I was calculating, you know, just kind of the average projection of my team uh, after the after finishing up the draft, like he's a guy that I slipped in there in place of um, you know, Kyle Tucker because of the limited plate appearances, so really love Eaton. Would love it if he continues to go at this spot in drafts, you know, anywhere after pick 200. I think he's uh, he's fantasy gold. How about you? What did you do here with your last two picks of the draft?
1: Yeah, you can see how deep this is when Mazzara, Pilar, Polanco, Peralta, Eaton are all sitting there in the final like three rounds of the draft. Oh, it really? Says a lot about it, but for me, my final two picks, uh, in round 22. I took my catcher, Jorge Alfaro, talked about him at the beginning of the podcast. You know, 18 homers last year. I think he keeps taking that next step to get better better and better. The average has been great. No problem taking him in a one-catcher league with one of my last picks, even though the next round Christian Vasquez went to um, went to Mike Gianelli. I guess it's just in my mind. I'm still not buying in on Vasquez, but maybe it's there. My final pick was Nate Evaldi. Uh I, I'm shooting for a bounce back from Ivaldi last year. In very riddled season, we saw in 2018 how strong he was. And towards the end of last year, once he started getting more innings under his belt, we saw a lot lot better. Eovaldi going five innings, striking out a lot of guys. Home runs were an issue for him last year, which were an issue for a lot of pitchers. But, you know, get back to, to normal Eovaldi shape, get going six innings or so in games would be good. Steamer's got about 148 innings, about a K in inning. Uh, that late in the draft, it's one of those guys. He can be a sneaky nice pick or a drop. I'm not too concerned about it. There's going to be a lot of guys on the waiver wire to to bring in as your pitcher. He's my seventh starting pitcher off the board. I could easily mix and match something else there. But Iavaldi was my final pick, a guy I was eyeing for quite a while. Ross Stripling uh, went a couple picks later again to Mike Gianella. I like Stripling quite a bit. That would have been a guy I probably would have pulled the trigger on. But uh, for me, it will be Nate Iavaldi as my final pick in the draft. And I love your final pick.
2: Yeah. My final pick uh, is very lovable. He's um, a uh, Willie Adamas. Uh, I just love what Adamas was able to do last year. I think it flew under the radar a lot. He's still going really late in drafts, but he's starting to put it all together. When I talk about like the four, um, piece for, what is it, uh, legs of the stool that I like to look at. You know, he's got plate discipline. He's been very selective. Um, elite at the plate. He's still only 23. His, his contact rate is way up there. It's very high. It's excellent. Um, his ground ball rate is starting to go down. I think that's the last major leg that needs to change. But, um, you know, his hard hit rate is well above 40%. Um, this is a 23-year-old who already has you know, over a 1,000 plate appearances, I think, in the big leagues. Um, I think he's a great candidate to take that next step next year and join this really large elite group of shortstop. I think he's going to be my middle infielder in a lot of leagues. Obviously, batting ninth in Tampa is not helpful, but I think he could move up there um, pretty quickly if he starts to put it together. So I went with him. John Birdie was also a guy that I considered at this spot. He was still uh, on the board and has a lot of position eligibility, but I really just wanted an opportunity Uh, to share my love for Willie Adamas. So that ended up uh, pushing me to take him uh, with the last pick in the draft. And that is, uh, that is it.
1: Yep. I like it. I like it quite a bit. So it was fun checking it out. I don't do a lot of 12 teamers. I don't think you do a lot of 12 teamers either, either. So that was uh, something different, especially 12 teamers with the roster constructions as such. I think they were made that way. So we wouldn't be drafting until February. But um, it was interesting to see. I'm looking forward to the ADPs to see how all this plays out uh, going forward, and then comparing it to the two early mocks and whatnot. But uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up the 14th edition of Bubba and the Backflip?
2: No, uh, for the for the hitters, I took uh, you know my lineup and I ran it, added the Steamer projections together just to see kind of where I was at. Um, and average, uh, per player average for the 10 players I have on my offense. And this is after going starting pitcher, starting pitcher to start. I don't really know whether this is good or not because, um, you know, I play 15 team leagues mostly, but, uh, 83.4 RBI, 83.9 runs, 12.4 stolen bases and 25.5 home runs with a 274 batting average, um, across those 10 players. So I feel pretty good about the fact that you know I've got five players who are contributing double digit steals. Um, I've got uh, four guys who are contributing 30 plus home runs, an additional uh, three guys that are over 20 home runs. So just really like the balance of the squad that I was able to put together. It's definitely a little bit different than my usual team, just because there's a lot more kind of Moustakis, Abreu type guys than I might generally take otherwise. But um it seems kind of fitting along with the um with the uh I don't know fitting with something we're almost at two hours here Bubba you know (laughs) I can't even wrap things up up at two hours my god what's (laughs) wrong with me but then with my pitching yeah I mean one of the things that I love doing is double tapping the aces to start off with Mm -hmm. and then just forgetting about them uh, you know, through uh, really deep drafting those closers late. So I tried to m- implement in some ways my overall strategy in a little bit of a different format. I don't think it works as well and is, isn't as necessary in these shallow leagues, especially a shallow uh, 12 team are different in like an online championship um, in uh, NFBC. But overall I feel pretty good about my squad. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really appreciative of Nick uh, Pollock reaching out, like just to be included in the these three mock drafts was definitely uh, a major, um, whatever you want to call it, like just an honor to be uh, in this draft, uh, ego boost, whatever you want to call it. It was uh, really nice to be invited. So, how did you leave the draft uh, feeling about your team?
1: Overall, I liked it. I got the power, the speed I'm looking for. I took some gambles on the starting pitchers that I usually don't take, but you know, they're gambles, if they work, it's great. If not, we figure something else out. That's the name of the game, grind, grind, grind. But all in all, I, I don't not like it. I guess first base is my biggest question mark, as I think I mentioned like 15 times already. That That's one that really gets me. Um, and and the, the starting pitchers. I, I love my relievers. I love my power and my speed. My offense overall, I like quite a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how that would have played out. Obviously, it's just a mock. But, you know, looking at picks that went right after me or right before me and kind of, sitting back and looking at there's a few I might have done a little differently but that's how drafts work and uh, you know he's got to make it work from there and and maybe work the waiver wire a little harder or whatnot but like you said uh, a big thanks to Nick Pollock it's always fun doing stuff with the guys and uh, I've drafted with many of these guys in mocks but there's some new ones in here that I got to meet so that was fun and uh, look forward to doing more of these before the season gets started. All right, that'll wrap us up for Bubba and the Batflip Edition 14. Hope the information helped for you. Go check out PitcherList List when they come out with all the info, as they'll uh, have updates and ADPs and all that good stuff for you. And if you have any questions, hit up Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy, as DMs are wide open. I'm on Twitter at BD Intric, and my DMs are wide open as well. But until next time, thanks for joining us on Bubba and the Batflip Episode 14.